This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm. It's the How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse podcast. I am Chad the Impaler, and welcome to the show this week. And uh, this week we have a little bit of a treat. Uh, everyone likes to hear, or we've been getting emails from people that like to hear stories from narcissist abuse survivors. So I went on to uh, Reddit this week. Everyone knows Reddit. It's a, it's a wonderful place to deep dive the kind of the internet and subreddits and learn about various uh, subjects that interest you. And uh, I always take part in a few of their subreddits, and one of them I answer questions about uh, narcissism, narcissism, and uh, you know, I'm there for people. It's kind of like uh, my own little way of how I do counseling for people. And uh, I talk to people, I chit chat with them, and I put up a post looking for anyone that wanted to be on the show who was raised by uh, narcissistic parents. And a person got back to me. And his name was, or is, uh, Elliot. And I had the uh, honor of talking to Elliot for a good chunk of time. And it was a great conversation. Um, I learned a lot about his life. It was the first time we actually spoke uh, uh, offline. And uh, we, were, were kind of tw- we were kind of twins. We didn't have a, the exact same upbringing. But I guess when you're raised by narcissists or involved in that throughout your whole entire life, you, you get the same tendencies. So it was really interesting to... Uh, sit down and talk to him, and and we'll have more of these in the future. So without uh, further ado, uh, here is the conversation uh, I had with a wonderful wonderful human being, Elliot. Hi, everyone. We are here with Elliot. Say hi, Elliot. Well, hello, Elliot. (laughs) So great story, everyone. I uh, sometimes go on to uh, Reddit and I answer questions on narcissist uh, forum boards there. And one day I posted, on Sunday I posted that uh, I was looking for someone to be on my podcast who was a, raised by a narcissist or from a narcissist survivor from uh, you know young, very young age. And they actually uh, cut off my, my thread saying I was posting in the wrong section. I was soliciting narcissists. So then I went to the podcasting section and posted this and Elliot responded and told me a story or a brief bit of his story. And we're here today to talk with Elliot about um, his narcissist uh, family filled past and how he was raised and 
how uh, it's affected him throughout his life. And, you know, our podcast, we have a little bit of sense of humor. I will try not to, uh, you know, laugh at everything or I will laugh with, uh, with you, hopefully with our pain. Cause I'm probably have the exact same upbringing as you or something very similar. Hope you don't right, mind. Yeah. Oh no, not <laughs> at all. I mean, that's uh, I do, I do comedy. So it's, you know, it's the, it's the process of uh, making your pain palatable. Right. So yes. you got to laugh. So uh, without further ado, tell us, your story, because it starts, because uh, my background from what I know is uh, it, at 10 years old, you got your life up ended. So what was your life like, I guess, before um, your, I guess, was your parents divorced or? Uh, no, um, my father died when I was, uh, he actually died a month before I turned three. Okay. Um, so I grew up in, uh, I grew up in Oregon and uh, I had, it was actually, despite the fact that you know, my father was dead. I had a fairly idyllic, uh, upbringing, you know, my mother and my grandmother, and we were all very close and it was very happy. Um, at least that's how I remember it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, you know, my mom met this man, uh, when I was, if you're fourth grade, that means that you're nine. Um, so met him around when I was eight or nine and, uh, he tried to find work out in Oregon, but he couldn't. So we all had to move to California, save my grandmother, who I was especially close to. And, oh, that's where the fun started. Okay. Um, <laughs> it was it was really interesting. Like my, my mom, you know, he's passed away since. And so my mom and I will, you know, just try to, I don't, reminisce sounds too, um, too soft of a word like i guess analyze what happened right mm-hmm. like it's, it's like the po- it's like the uh, post op not not the post op it's like the post mortem you're like what what were you thinking man and she's like i don't know <laughs> i don't know and, and well no. when it when it comes to your mom is your mom an empathetic human being mm, i think wow fun about my mom um she actually like started to cry when do you remember like that video of Gaddafi? um you know, the last few Momar Gaddafi. Yes. The last few moments of <laughs> Momar Gaddafi's life. Um, uh, was he in court? No, it was, it was street justice. Uh, oh, I, I didn't, uh, I don't remember that at all. I remember yeah. Momar Gaddafi. How could you not? Right. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, I was, yeah, she lives in California and I live in uh, Seattle and I was over at her house because, you know, I visit every, once every couple of years and like we were talking about Muammar Gaddafi and she like got emotional and she was like, nobody should have to die that way. I'm like, you know, like there was a lot of stuff that went down in your house that you kind of just, you just kind of breezed over. Like I respect the fact that you have a respect or empathy for human life. However, like, man, I got wrecked when I was a kid. So like, would have been nice to like feel like some sort of empathy back then, but you know, people get older and you know, so I guess I'm going to interrupt for one second. So you felt your mom didn't protect you. Oh no, no, she was not. She, that was not her. It wasn't her bag. Okay. So, um, did you, how, how many years did you, uh, resent her? Did you resent her? I, well, the nice thing is I kind of, I say that as if it's a, you know, it's a warm and fuzzy, but, um, the, I guess the lucky thing for me is that I, I was able to, 
emotionally disconnect fairly quickly from everybody. Um, and actually, there's a great. Have you ever read the poet, the poet uh, Tony Hoagland? No. Um, he has this great line, and I'm gonna I'm going to try to find it, and I'll just fill time until then. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, my um, my my mother wasn't. Uh, she didn't know. People are selfish, I think. A lot of people are selfish in their ways, of course. Um, however, um, I think my mom's vice was, and still is, is feeling loved, right? Mm-hmm. Like she will, she'll chase that high and it has to be, and it has to be like a, a, a male partner, right? That's who she has to feel loved by. And uh, I think she will do just about anything to avoid not feeling loved. And like narcissists are, if they're in a good mood and you're pleasing them, they make you feel great. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they really, they really make you feel like you belong. Right. Oh, yeah. Of course know, you belong I, to oh, them. I know, I know this. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think because of how their personalities interacted, like it was a very, like, what is it? Toxic relationship. Uh, so your, your mom was, I guess, codependent in that way. In yes. A, in a, I would yeah, say so. She was codependent and, um, no matter what was going on with her partner, she, she had her role. At what, yes. what, what age, what, what age did you have this realization, not realization, did you come to terms with like, this was it? Was it very young that you could, you were able to separate, um, this? Cause I'm, if you, like, if you were very young, I'm pretty impressed. Yeah, there was, um, well, I, th- I think I had like a primer, right? Because like I, I grew up without a father. So mm-hmm. like I was already down one parent. Um, and like, I do remember like the moment that it really hit me and this will give away my age, but, uh, uh, when we first moved down to California, the 94 earthquake happened and I was about 10. And so I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I had never been in one, uh, Oregon in the Northwest doesn't really have them, but apparently we're going to have one giant one eventually that will end everything up here. So that's fun to look forward to. Um, <laughs> so wait, this was a California earthquake. In yes, 94? Sir. Was this, I'm trying to remember, Northridge? Yes. Ah, ding, ding, ding. Oh, I have, it's weird memory. I have yeah. no idea why of Northridge, California. I'm from Toronto, but I remember watching maybe CNN or anything at that time. And I just remember, um, I guess there's the University of California Northridge or something that's like right around there, like the campus. Mm-hmm. I just remember, mm-hmm. I, have, I have weird visuals of the street kind of being cracked in front of this apartment yeah. complex. Um, yeah, yeah Northridge. Okay, I got my memory still. Yeah, I, I can't believe it. You uh, you nailed it. Thank, um, thank you. But uh, so you know, it was the first time, and uh, and I you know, I had just moved to California. We had this earthquake, and um, I remember like I was in my room, and my parents were in their room, and I did what you know you saw on TV, which is stand in the door frame, right? Yeah. Yes. After, and I was sleeping on a day bed at the time, so I got flung out of the. I got flung out of my bed. I hit my the back of my head against uh, a dr- a, my dresser, and then I got into the uh, doorway, and like no nobody called for me, right? Like it was an earthquake. I was ten years old. My parents didn't go like, Elliot, are you okay? Nothing. Like I had to walk to their room, see that they were seated on their beds, putting on shoes. And then my stepfather was like, what are you, dumb? Put on some shoes. I'm oh, like, what? God. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. Didn't know that was a thing. I'll go back to my room. Thanks for checking on me. <laughs> yeah. You know? 
So I think I feel like that was a pretty good like, hey, kid, no one's got your back. So was he ever uh, did he ever try and be a buddy before your mom, like while they were dating? I actually think there was a moment which I which kind of solidified her uh, enmity, um, which is apparently he tried to show me how to throw a baseball. Like, I don't care about baseball. Um, And so as a kid, he was like trying to like play catch with me, like whatever American thing, you know, we have. I guess in Canada it's hockey. Yes. In America it's it's fucking baseball. And I would, I just like wandered off midway through. I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm gonna go like imagine something else. And then I just like walked away. And like I think I I think I got on his bad side ever since then. Um, but yeah, that that was the long and short of us trying to be close. Okay. And then uh, uh, his his terms of endearment were uh, using words such as uh, dummy or idiot or things along those lines. Yeah, his um he he was strange in that he was he could be very formal um you know uh like he never called me his son which was fair cuz I didn't call him my dad um and uh he would just usually refer to me as Elliot you know ah he did a good job uh, you know he yeah his god did he have a term of endearment he called my mom flip which is interesting because we're filipino Okay. Um, okay. And and of course Flip is a uh, fucking little island person, yeah. I think. Um so that was that uh, was cool. I I never heard that uh, like uh I did not know that's what it stood for. Yeah, yeah. So he was he was in the navy um and he and he really did enjoy uh he did visit the philippines and i think that's i think that's what flip stands for but that was you know that's what he called my mom okay uh but yeah uh yeah and one of the first oh he called me worthless that was a that was a term of endearment i suppose <laughs> oh this guy sounds like a piece of work i tell you oh he was he was you know but say la vie it it happened, unfortunately, but nothing I can do about it on the on this side. No. So at at ten, this upended your life. You were now in uh, California, and um, at this point, uh, how does your relationship with him continue, and how does it disrupt your your household? Oh, um, it continued by. Um, Everything was based on his mood, right? So, like, whatever his mood was, that's what we all had to kind of adjust to immediately, right? Like, there was this one time when I was very quiet at, you know, dinner, uh, because I tend to be a more quiet person. Um, although I bet this podcast isn't demonstrating that. Um, but, uh, um, but he wanted me to be, he was annoyed at me for not talking. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll talk about my day. And then like, I talked for like five minutes and he got so, so angry at me talking. Like he said that I was just talking too much. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Like, I don't know what you want from me right now. I just know that I don't want this. Right. You just don't want to be and at that table. A- so you're walking on eggshells no matter what, when you walk in oh. the house at the end of the day, when you got up in the morning, because his mood and his specific needs were... They were always the number one n- thing. The number one thing. 
and, and they yep. could have, and they could have changed at any second. Correct. Obviously. Oh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like one moment you're like, he's being cool and you're like, Oh, this is nice. And then like you cough and he gets angry that you disrupted sound or something. And you're like, and then he's upset at you and you're like, that's cool. And like, if you two got into a fight, you would always have to apologize, even if he was wrong, you know? Um, like my mom would come to me at like, you know, in my room and she would just be like, just apologize to him. I'm like, but oh. I didn't do anything. And she goes, it'll, it'll just make everything else be okay. I'm like, ugh. So then, you know, you have to go there and you're like, I'm sorry for not at all being wrong, but you being upset that I was right. You know, I, I just, and, I just uh, did my own little pod. Like sometimes I do my own little narcissist story podcast about little, like little stories throughout my history. I'll do like, they're like 10 to 20 minutes long. And the last one I did had to do specifically <laughs> about that topic with me and my brother, how I always had to apologize when my brother mm-hmm. did something wrong, but he got angry and said that I had to apologize for something specific that I did that had nothing to do with whatever, however he fucked up. And, I yeah, would, and yeah. my mom would then be like, just say you're sorry. I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. And she's like, just yeah. say, say you're sorry. And I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. Just please, we have to end this now. And that's yeah, what it really that, came down to. Yeah, it's not the worst feeling though, because it's just like I've I I'm I'm not I don't deserve this. Like, why are you so against me right now? Like, we both know what the truth is. Why do I have to? Why do I have to take the L on this? Because we both know that he was the dickhead. But why have to say that I'm sorry to him for him being a dickhead? You know. And did that uh, be, because your mom was like that? How hard for you later on in life was it for you to trust adults? Because obviously, right now, at this point, you probably don't trust your mom because she's not protecting you from uh, your stepdad. And now you obviously don't trust him. Uh, Was that a big issue uh, moving forward? Yeah, I I don't really have, uh, I have have a healthy skepticism towards anybody in authority, right? Mm -hmm. And just, um, yeah, every, I I realized this because I went to a therapy session and, um, I realized like my therapist, the therapist that I was seeing, he was a a psychologist. I should no psychiatrist. I'll get there eventually. I'll say the right (laughs) word eventually. Um, My psychiatrist was a, he just had a body shape that was reminiscent of my stepfather. Right. And it was very, um, yeah, absolutely. I have a, I have like a Garmin Vivo fit three or whatever. And like, you can like check your pulse, right? You can just look at it. I, I was, I would watch my, I would look at it and I would see that my pulse was steadily increasing at the more time that I spent in this small room with this person. Right. And it's nothing that he did. He looks the way that he looks simply by genetics and you know, whatever. But like, I could not, my, I just, it brought back all those like moments, right. Where mm-hmm. I'm just like, I can't handle this right now. Did you, did so. you uh, get a new therapist? Yeah, yeah, I, I tend to, I tend to, yeah, I tend to be more comfortable around um, female healthcare providers um, because I think probably because I was close to my grandma. So that's um, if I trust anybody, it's going to be a female. It'll be a, a adult female. Um, but so sorry, dudes. <laughs> I I am the same way. I, I oh. uh, trust uh, women more than men. I don't know if that's all society, but um, mm-hmm. uh, I do trust uh, women more than men, uh, especially uh, in the therapy session. 
Uh, I just uh, am more relaxed around them. I'm even uh, amongst my friends. Uh, I'm more uh, relaxed around uh, opening up uh, around women over men uh, my whole entire life. I don't know if that is because of my upbringing, because the men in my life were always uh, the ones I had to protect myself from the most. But right. that's kind of how, for me, that's what it is. I should create some sort of survey or questionnaire about this. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the best friends that I've had for most of my life have all been women, right? That's, like you said, that's who I feel like most comfortable, as comfortable as I can get, which is mm, not particularly. Um, but, yeah, those who those are the people that I tend to, like, open up the most to. Um but yeah, so I think your question was, uh, did, you know, do I have any trust with adults? Yes. And no, not particularly. I mean, from what I could tell as a kid, they sucked. <laughs> and I, I guess another th- way to go with this is when you do trust someone, have you trusted the wrong person? Oh, I, I, absolutely. In, in relationships. And do you have any oh. stories of, uh, so, like, you've thought you were getting in a relationship with a normal human being and then you realize that oh i'm now dating my uh stepdad i just didn't realize it yet oh yeah um that that relation like the most i I tend to have like two dials when it comes to relationships which is i'm either going to partner up with somebody who um is kind Mm-hmm. and who doesn't really interest me, right? I'm just, <laughs> like, I know that I'm supposed to be... I'm, uh, do you know, I'm only laughing because right now I feel like we're the same person. <laughs> well, I've always wanted to live in Canada. Um, <laughs> I don't give green cards, sorry. Oh, dang but, it. But, uh, but uh, honestly, uh, one, of my biggest pro- one of my biggest problems in my past is nice person, great good for me but <laughs> but i'm bored i know like it's it's like it's so weird isn't it because like i like intellectually i know this is what i should have this is what i need i just need someone who like doesn't freak out you know and who's like hey what you said before really hurt my feelings but i'm not going to but i'm not going to throw a temper tantrum and i'm not going to like black, emotionally blackmail you i just want to talk about it and i'm like boring like <laughs> <laughs> Because we're, we're, we're used, like, it's more comfortable for some strange reasons, but it's more comfortable to be with what you know, and what you know is what's terrible for you. Yeah, and I think, and like, I think there's, uh, I think because, like, uh, if you grow up, you know, um, having somebody whose needs are so intensely pushed to the front, the nice thing, I think, about that certain personality type is, like, when they accept you or when they love you which is you know conditional based on like how much you please them but like when they're good with you like they cling cling tightly because you know you serve the you serve their you you serve them in some way and so like they become very attached uh the bad thing is like there are terrible conditions to that attachment that are not at all fine they're not at all okay like um my stepfather um when my, before he and my mom like lived together, she got her hair cut and he left, I think five angry voicemails because he, um, she didn't consult him about getting her hair cut, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and um, was he big into uh vanity of any sort or like looks 
in general? Oh, oh, absolutely. He okay. always, you know, um, we had, uh, when I was in fourth grade, um, my mom woke me up. Uh, it was summer and she woke me up. I think it was actually around the OJ trial. She woke me up at five in the morning and she said, Elliot, whatever happens, you can't open the front door. Don't make any noise because there are people who are coming to take our stuff. I was like, well, that's terrifying. (laughs) That is terrifying. Continue. I have to know what happens. And so it was because uh, they overextended their credit and uh, because he needed, he couldn't like accept like having a car that, you know, ah, it's a Toyota Camry. Nice. You know, it does the job well and it does it plainly. You know, Mm -hmm. he had to get a Lexus and he had to get a Mercedes and he had to get he had to go to uh, Nordstrom and buy a, another suit, even though he had 13 suits that he never had occasions to wear, you know, or he had to buy a Movado watch. You know, it was all these things where it's like, I don't know if you know this, but like we, you can't afford that as evidenced by the fact that there are repo men coming to take the stuff that you bought, you know, and haven't paid for, you know. Um, but yeah, so that morning I just woke up and I silently watched the OJ trial and read a book as people would come to the door knocking and I could, and I could look out over the, uh, I could look out down on our, um, garage, uh, cause we were in a apartment building and we were directly above our garage and I could see like these, you know, men in uniforms just like trying to find our cars, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was how did, was a, how did that it, uh, affect you? Uh, did you think of anything of that? Or just like, oh, this guy's an idiot? Or, um, oh, I mean, did I you, mean, like did you just shrug a, at that point? I mean, like that just strikes at this idea. This It strikes at this idea of like security, right? Like home is supposed to be where you're safe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, home is where you don't run anymore. But like, Apparently not. Like there was like there was so like when I moved to when we lived with him, like no place was safe. So it just like further made me think like ah, nothing matters. Uh, the only thing that I can rely on is like my head, you know. So I just have to become like more detached from everything, you know, um, because like at least my brain is somewhat safe, even though it's not pristine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not going to be any repo men taking that from me yet. <laughs> <laughs> in 30 years yes not right now yes. <laughs> so that that's when you started to become more of a uh in your head you became your own storyteller and you and you started to do that within your life or that became a passion of yours yeah my mom you know when we talk she goes like you used to be such a happy-go-lucky kid i was like gee i wonder what ha- i wonder what changed you know um that's what she says recently yeah yeah she she uh yeah she still gets baffled by the idea that like you know uh, what happened in my childhood like fundamentally altered a lot of my personality right well i assume Um, back then that your role was really just uh keep your mouth shut put a smile on your face let everything pass and let everything slide because that's what you were told by your mom and that's what this guy wanted because you're, if you made something of it, then it would become a thing and your mom didn't want to become a thing. So you were this obedient child. And then later on in life, you know, when things, you know, you're allowed to be you later on and that 
is disturbing probably to your mom because she's like, where did this come from? Because she's probably blanked out that this other life even existed for you. Correct? Yeah. I mean, like, it's one of those things where it's just like, um, I understand that this isn't the best, but I don't think it's as bad as you make it seem. Who, you me? know, uh, uh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I thought I was making a mountain out of a molehill. No, sorry. No, no. no, it's a, I think from my mother's perspective, it's just like, I understand that things weren't ideal, but I don't think they were as bad as you tell me they are, Elliot, uh, you know? And, um, you know, it's like, no, it was, it was pretty bad. Like, uh, like, to give you an idea, right? Um, like this is like one of the one of the hardest ones for me, right? Was you know I'd moved out because I think I had told you uh, uh, on Reddit, right? Um, that uh, at sixty at seventeen, you know, before I graduated high school, I was like, well, I can't take this anymore. So you know, he and I had a fight, and then I said, like, that's it, I'm out of here. And he goes, that's it, you're out of here. So we both agreed that I was out of here, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so I went to school with. Uh, a uh, big black, big uh, big black bag, and tried to see if I could crash at anyone's house. Right? Um, thankfully, I did. They, a very kind family took me in. But so I was out of the house at a fairly, you know, earlier than I didn't finish high school at my parents' house. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so I was, I was cel- like a year later. I was celebrating um, the one year anniversary of my relationship with this woman. Right. And she was one of those, like, kind but boring. So I was like, eh, you know, it was like, well, at least this is nice, even if I don't care about it. Like, it's like, um, yeah. But so we're, we end up, we were both poor. Um, and so we're like, well, to celebrate, I can't really afford to take you out to dinner. So how about we just go uh, on a play set, you know, like a, a kid's park play set, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're with slides and things like that. And so we go there and we're like, we're just, it's November and we're trying to, you know, simple pleasures, I guess. And so when I go down the slide, like I immediately feel like there's something sticking to my neck and in my hair and um, on my ear. And when I arrive at the bottom, I get the smell, right? And I immediately go into the sawdust and try to like roll it off of me. Apparently, some kid had pooped on the slide and nobody cleaned it up. And then I went down it and it got on my neck and back. And uh, I was like, well, this is terrible. (laughs) Um, It's the the worst. Sorry. Yeah. And it just so happened that uh, this park was close to uh, my parents' house. So I was like, all right. We've made some so we've made some sort of forgiveness um, on either end, and we've been all right with one another. Like not good, but like not you know he and I didn't fist fight. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna see if I can like wash up. And so I brought my um, my girlfriend and I at the time we we went to my parents' house and I knocked on the door and I said, hey ma, and she goes, oh Elliot, what are you what are you doing here? And I said, well, funny thing, I'm covered in shit because I went down a slide. <laughs> Quick quesh. Can I please take a shower? Because I would really like to not be covered in like little little kid shit. Like that's not my kink, um, and I'm pretty sure that's illegal. And she goes, "Oh, of course." 
let me go ask, uh, let me go ask your stepfather. I was like, ah, fuck. And so I'm sitting down. I'm, and the thing about it is like going from, he had a wonderful tendency to fail upwards. I don't know how he did it. Uh, so we had that apartment and then he moved into the, my mother and him moved into a, um, uh, not quite a, a townhome, a townhome. Mm-hmm. And so he had a balcony. He had like uh, he his their bedroom was on the second floor, so you could like look down the catwalk imperially at the people in the front door, right? And so I can hear my mom whispering, and I'm like, mm, I know his tones. Like, do you ever find that like you're especially sensitive to like people's people's tones, or like you're always like scanning people to see if like what's the emotional temperature right now? Uh yeah, I don't. I, I tone is a big trigger for me. Uh, like a, yeah. tone, a tone of someone's voice or the tone of a, like a, just the sound of a room. Um, yeah. cause I can, well, the feel of it, um, oh. a huge, a huge trigger for me, uh, with strangers sometimes actually this, this past summer, uh, I'm going to sidetrack you for one second. This past summer, um, I was at a, a, a small wedding, uh, and mm-hmm. everyone was seated. It was like a very, very small wedding and everyone was seated at the table and the actual groom, uh, the tone he, we got, uh, once he's had a few drinks in him, the tone uh, of his voice, uh, and his, and his mannerisms, uh, reminded me too much of, uh, my dad and I had to leave. Oh God, I'm sorry. That's tough. It was, uh, even though like I get a, like, you know, I still am involved with in my life with my dad. I see him all the time. But like it's hard, sometimes it's hard to hang out in a room with my dad. But though it just reminded me of the times uh, when I was younger, when my dad uh, did drink, and uh, uh, his his the body language that that occurred then, and the stuff that came out of his mouth. So I had to uh, leave, and uh, actually my relationship with that couple, I've never seen them since. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, that's so tough. Yeah, yeah. No, I I do notice. Like I think I'm especially. Sound is so important, you know, um, and like reading, like body language is, oh my God, you know, it's never like, I don't think that's, I think that's why I have such a hard time like being in a party because there's too many different people that I'm trying, like there's too many people there for me to try to like get a good representation of like what I think their theory of mind is or how their emotions are, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but sorry, I got off the track. Oh, no, um, I, I got so you I, off the track. So you're at, you're at the, your uh, dad's place, your, your, sorry, your mom's place and your stepdad is there and the tone. Go. Yeah. So then I can hear it and I can hear his response and I can't hear the words, but I hear the tone. I'm like, ah, fudge. And sorry, I don't know if I can swear. So I'm uh, you can do whatever you want. Oh, donks. Um, yeah. And uh, so then he walks from the catwalk and he looks down at me imperially. Right. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what did you ask your mother? Elliot and my girlfriend at the time is you know behind me. I said, well, it's a funny story. Um, I happen to be covered in shit, and I would really like to take a shower. And he goes, so you want to drag your shit into my house? I said, well, that would be necessary for me to take a shower, yes. And he goes, no. I was like, oh? And he goes, uh, I don't, for, I was 18 at the time, 19, for nine years, you dragged your shit into my home, and I'm done with it. So why don't you go someplace where they love you oh. and bring shit into their home? And I remember, like, I don't remember anything after that because I think I just blanked out in a rage. Um, 
That's like a full and blackout, and you earned that blackout. Yeah, I do remember, like, I had to, there was a YMCA close by, and it was nighttime. So in November, I had to, the sprinklers were running because who cares about water conservation? <laughs> um, so I had to wash myself in the sprinkler at around 10 o'clock. Um, and get the shit off of me that way. Thankfully, I had an old Nirvana t-shirt in my shitty car. So I drove home, you know, just wearing the shirt and soggy uh, soggy underwear. And I got back to the place where I was staying. And I, um, the father there was sitting watching TV because that's what he always did. And he was a very kind man, uh, someone I admire uh, greatly. And uh, apparently, from what my girlfriend at the time told me... Um, I walked in, I just went straight to the bathroom, I showered, they could hear, they could both, she said, we were sitting there watching, you know, whatever, and we could just hear you yelling in the bathroom and punching, punching the wall, and I have no recollection of that, right? I have no recollection after the YMCA sprinkler shower. Um, but yeah, that was my, that was my stepfather. Well, <clears throat> that is, uh, I mean... You had a full, you had a full blackout there, like a full, um, and I guess it, it was an inner rage, I guess, what did you say? That like just made you, um, you know, you had a temporary, like, I guess it's a temporary amnesia of some sort. You just went in another world and, yeah. and you, and, uh, I mean, that's terrible. What happened to you there? Terrible. Well, I mean, like, you know, I think it's like you get to this point, like it's so like, like, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it speaks to like human dignity, right? Mm -hmm. Like, even if I, even if I really hate somebody, if they come to my house because they have no other options and they're covered in shit, like human shit, like, I will let you take a shower in my house. Like, yeah. you have to leave quickly afterwards if I hate you, but like, you deserve the ability to not be covered in feces. I guess that's, that's just my feeling on it. And I think I'm right about it. Um, so the fact that like somebody who, you know, was supposed to be a guardian, like says that so directly, you know, and doesn't allow you to wash and like seeing my mom just like take a knee on this one. Yes. Right? With your mom on this one, how, like when, when, when you bring up this type of story today, how does she, uh, defend herself in that kind of sense or, or how does she, uh, what was her, uh, thinking or does she blank that out or she not remember any of this? She, I think, I think she just goes like, I don't know what I was thinking. I was like, well, that's not really comforting, but I can understand. Like, nobody wants, like, you know. So she just, her response is like, I don't know why. I'm like, well, at least you're honest, you know. You don't know why you let it happen. I suspect it's because you didn't want to feel lonely. Um, and, like, people are willing to make a lot of concessions to not feel lonely, I think. Has she ever um, gone to therapy herself? No. no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> for a while did you want her to or think that like you know? or did you think that uh maybe my mom will uh not be fixed but be able to be introspective or did you lose that hope a long time ago and decide was that a frustration for a very long time you, you know we we went to family therapy uh a couple of times 
And so the therapist would, the therapist would like make a prescription, right? Which is just like, Hey, you know, it seems like Elliot wants to spend more time with his mother. So mom, you have to go once a week, you and Elliot go to the movies. Right. And so we watched the matrix once. Um, and something about Mary, there's something about Mary. Okay. Um, good choices. So we did it. Yeah. But we've, I think we found like two, two excellent choices in a, in a very strange year. Um, and then like, it just stopped because like he was tired of my, he was tired of, um, my mother spending time with, spending time with me and not him. So, you know, so if that's what he wanted, that's what happened. So I was just like, well, that's cool. We went to a therapist, they prescribed something, but, uh, he just, uh, canceled that out. So, okay. You know, it was just like, I don't know what I expected, but this is an outcome that I should have, that I'm, I'm familiar with. So do I think that if she went to therapy, she would be particularly, uh, introspective? No, I don't think she's particularly introspective by nature or because of like her own childhood, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so, and plus like, I saw like a therapist doing their best, but if someone doesn't have buy-in, you know, it's for not. Did your stepdad have uh, friends outside of your mom or your mom was it? Huh. Did he have friends? Mm, I think he had a couple, like a, a literal couple, um, that they would go to plays and uh, the, the symphony with. But whether those, whether they hung out with him outside of like doing like a double date, I don't think so. So they went and did, so ev- I, they did events where they did not have to talk to each other. Yeah. Yeah. You know, of course they would have dinner and whatnot, but like they never really, I don't think he had anybody that he was close to. Like, I don't, I think my mom was the only person that like, he was his pal. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think anybody really, really he was charming um, in a superficial way. Like if you met him at a party, like you'd be like, ah, I like this guy. I like the cut of this guy's jib. But like when you got closer to him, man, what a tough hang. Mm-hmm. He, he so could only talk about the things he could talk about. Yeah. And plus like, you know, he was just, he was just a short, he was just a live wire. He was just a short fuse, you know? So like, oh, but, oh shoot. You just reminded me of, <laughs> Um, it's weird when somebody dies, right? Mm-hmm. And so my stepfather died in 2007. Like I got this cavalcade of people telling me stories about things that he said and like saying like, we should have said something. I was like, yeah, that would have been sweet. That would have been sweet. <laughs> Tell you, that would have been sweet if you had said something when I was 12 instead of like now I'm 24 and I have to deliver his eulogy. Um, but like there was this one moment, like, one of it that uh, the the man and that couple um he goes yeah we had just come from cupid's hot dogs which is famous in la it's a shitty hot dog but <laughs> i digress okay. um and he goes we had an extra hot dog and fries and we were at your house because you know we were all gonna we were getting ready to go somewhere and um i asked your stepfather i was like oh we have an extra hot dog and fries should we give this to elliot and your stepfather just said no, and he took the bag from me, and then he put it in the trash. And I was like, "Okay, cool. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with this information, you know." 
Yeah, because at that point, like, I mean, what, what's that guy supposed to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, he, it's, not, it's not his family. It's hard for that guy to step in. Um, I've wanted to, on many occasions, you know, when it comes to uh, my brother, uh, say to certain people, like, run. <laughs> like, right. But, uh, w- you know, I'm... I'm the brother. I'm not like this person has to learn. Like, you were a child. Like it's different. But in, in this respect, I had to, I wanted to say like, uh, this isn't a good idea. Like move away from this situation. This will only cause you pain. And, right. but where was the point where I should have stepped in where I'm overstepping my boundary and when it was not. And I've always chose, uh, not to, and I still don't know if that was the right thing to do. And I'm sure that person, uh, they, they're, I guess they're not close to you, that person, correct? In any way. They right. ju- yeah. So like their concern wouldn't have been, I mean, if it was maybe a relative, maybe they could have done something, but did you have a relative that like, besides like on your mom's side or on your dad's side, you're not your step, your stepdad's side. Did you meet any of them? Uh, there was my grandma and then, uh, she was in Oregon and then she died about a year after, um, oh, I'm sorry. She died two years after, uh, she died two years after we moved. Uh, she was the only one who like consistently railed against him. Right? Oh, okay. She, she would she would talk to my mom and she was like, "He is if he doesn't treat your son kindly, then he if he doesn't treat, you know, if he doesn't treat my grandson kindly, then you shouldn't be with him, right? You because you're you're a package deal. He can't have you without loving your son." And my mom was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Um, so she was the only one who would like consistently like fight against him. And then we moved away from her and then she died, you know, and then, um, that must've been tough for you. Oh uh, yeah. Cause yeah. I had, been, I had been making designs. I had been saving up my pennies, um, ever since we got to California so that I could take a Greyhound bus, um, to be back with my grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, we learned that she was dying and then, you know, because he spent so much goddamn money, we couldn't afford a, pl- a plane ride back. So we had to drive. And because his back was wrecked, we couldn't drive for more than three hours a day, four hours, five hours, three to five hours a day. And so we arrived too late. Like I didn't get to see my grandmother. Right. I never saw her again after I moved. Um, and she was your protector. She was your true protector. Yes. Yeah. And the, she was the only protector I had. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, were, and so that hit me really hard. Were, you know? were any of your friends uh, from, I guess, when you moved from age 10 to whatever, or do you consider any of them to be like your witness to the situation to make it sound like you're, you know, maybe you were thinking you were crazy at a certain point, like I'm uh, bad. Did you have anybody there uh, that was your age that could be like, no, this guy sucks and like was on your side? I, I thankfully, I really, I, I really, um, I did have some very good friends. Um, I still remember my, uh, my friend, uh, Doug, you know, we were hanging out and we had just got, you know, we were old enough to drive and I was just telling him about like how shitty things were. And we were out, parked outside, uh, the uh, house. Um, and he goes, you know, I really hate the fact that like, I really hate the fact that we're getting to the point in time where like you have to go into that house alone, you know, but if you ever need anything, you know, call me, you know, I'll be here for you, you know? And it's the same thing with, um, the family that eventually like took me in after I moved out, uh, during high school, like they were, uh, the son, especially, um, you know, 
empathetic and kind-hearted. Uh, but, you know, I was also um, very tight-lipped a lot of the time because I guess that was just the culture I grew up in, mm-hmm. you know? Our business doesn't, it's, our business is our business and no one else's. Yeah, I know that all too well as well. Uh, so the one thing you said earlier, uh, I just want to get back to you for one second. And it okay. was, you know, you said earlier uh, the way he said your name, uh, how he, he always said Elliot. And yes. um, the cadence in which you told the, pre- the previous story, you said the word Elliot, the cadence in which you said it, it, it mm-hmm. you know, I guess everyone still calls you Elliot today, correct? They use your full name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, was his cadence a different cadence that is a specific cadence um, that no one else is, no one else uses? Yeah, it was very clipped. It, I've I've actually found that like I I will have the same sort of tone and I'll have the same sort of cadence when I'm very upset or angry. You know, it's where you over pronunciate things. Yeah. Right. So you're, so you're like, oh, it's very good that you did that. Right. And I guess in his in his way, it was, um, oh, hello, Elliot. You know, you yeah, that, really that, that's that's stuff. what I heard. I heard you say it that way, where you where that yeah. that T clipped there at the end, and I'm like, ah, okay. I get you can hear the uh, the it's it's condescending. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. It, it's uh, the way it, the cadence of it is a condescending cadence. That's how I heard it. That uh, the way in which it said it's lowering your value. No, oh, yeah, I think you're very right about that. I think that I think I, I think that was a very big aim of his to to lower your value. And yeah, did he? Uh, so your self esteem uh, at this point? Do you have any? Like uh, growing up and did you continue to have a, I don't know if you did have a self-esteem problem, but did it continue if you did? I, um, self-esteem, I, I don't think my, I, I I certainly didn't have a healthy self-esteem, right? Um, I, I think when you're at a certain age, you can very easily internalize things. And I think being told you're worthless is something that will stick in your head, right? And even if you, like laugh it off or pretend to laugh it off. Like it's still in the back of your mind. Like whenever you look in the mirror, right. Mm -hmm. Like you think, especially if it's coming from like some sort of authority figure. Right. Um, so my self-esteem wasn't particularly good. Um, you know, and that's been a, I think a persistent problem that I've had. Like I, I think, uh, I, I think I do like consistently like devalue myself. Um, because, you know, it's just still in my head after all this time. Like there was, uh, do you, do you know, uh, uh, Dan Harmon? Uh, yeah, he created, uh, community. Yes. Yes. Um, he, he would, he had this discussion, uh, or he, or he was on WTF with Mark Marin, and, um, he had this really great line that I still think about. He goes like, when you're a kid and you have a difficult childhood, all you are doing is you are re are, you are monkeying up your wiring so that you can survive another day. That's all that you are doing because you need to continue living. So you will do anything that you can. You will rewire in the 
worst ways just so that you can get up in the morning. And then the goal of adulthood is to undo the wiring you did in an emergency. And, <laughs> yes. So, and so I think that's very. So true. how how yeah. have you been unwire? Have you been like when was the process for you to unwire? When did that begin? And how is it? How is that going? You know, I I, I suspect. Unfortunately, it will be a, a process that will take the rest of my life, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, and that's I, at least I have at least I won't be out of work, <laughs> even if I'm unemployed. <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, for everyone that's uh, listening, I'm going to interrupt for one second. Uh, you have a couple of podcasts and I will say you have a perfect voice for uh, telling stories on uh, podcasts. Uh, you sound like you are a, like a voice actor of sorts. Um, oh, that's very that, kind. That Thank type, you. that type of voice that you like, because uh, you said you're going to be doing this audio drama. And mm-hmm. I was when uh, I'm listening to your voice, I, I'm thinking to myself, this is a voice for an audio drama. Oh, that's very kind. Yeah, I, I, I think I've always had a sort of NPRish voice. Um, you know, which is fortunate. Um, is fortunate or unfortunate? Uh, fortunate. Okay. Um, when I was, when I tried to be a punk rocker, when I tried to be in a punk rock band, it was very unfortunate because, you know, there's no song. <laughs> you don't want to make your, uh, you don't want to make the audience sedate if you're into <laughs> punk rock. Yes. But as somebody who tells stories now, uh, it's a pair, it's a, it works out. Um, yeah. But thank you for that compliment. I really appreciate it. No problem. Oh, sorry. Where were we? I interrupted you somewhere. I forgot where oh, we interrupted you. Okay, lifelong no, the, lifelong the thing. Yes, go. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean like, you know, I think it really it really started when I moved out um or was thrown out, you know. Um and then you make a lot of bad decisions because, you know, your compass is fundamentally off, right? When you grow up around that, like your your the way that you orient towards life is just goofy, right? That's the same reason like I like if a, if a if a partner is kind, I'm like boring, right? Yeah. Um, so the one that was uh, the worst one, uh, what happened there? Oh man! So she had found she had seen me do stand up, and she had found me very funny, um, which was surprising in and of itself. And um, <laughs> she was living in Connecticut at the time, and she found me on Facebook, right? And so we chatted and, you know, she said, I'm going to be in Seattle for a little bit. Do you want to meet up? And I was like, yeah, why not? Who gives a shit? Like, you know, it's, it's weird to like think that you have a fan, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we meet up and, you know, it kind of becomes, it, 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 it's accelerated. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, now after like her week here, she goes back to Connecticut and then she's talking about moving to Seattle. I was like, well, that's cool. At the same point, like you've known me for a week, man. And, um, so then she eventually does move to Seattle and, um, see, that's when the hooks start coming in, which is like, you know, she didn't want me to see my friend, you know, my best friend, my female best friend, you know, um, she needed to spend like every moment with me, which is just like, you have your own life. I assume like your, your life isn't mine. 
you know? Um, how did, how did she hook you in to begin with? Like what was her, uh, like a big teeth sinking into you where you're like, Oh, this person gets me type of deal or. It was, yeah, I think it was, um, because she was such, because she, she so liked me. Right. And like, that's so base, but for somebody who has like, uh, who spent a large part of his childhood not being liked, you know, like I couldn't even talk about my dad in front of my stepfather, uh, because he didn't want to be reminded that my mom had a, had a partner before him. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, well, she does have a son. So like, unless she's the, unless she's the Virgin Mary and I'm Jesus Christ himself, like she had a partner before, but he just, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle like the thought of my dad, like living Mm -hmm. at one point. Right. And so, yeah, she was very flattering and, you know, she liked the things that I did and she just enjoyed spending time with me. And like, it's all these things that, you know, self, uh, subconsciously you don't, um, you, if you have poor self-esteem, like you don't think anybody likes those things about you, you know, you don't think that somebody likes, um, likes the things that you do or likes you as a person. And mm-hmm. so there's this person very emphatically telling you, like, I do like you and I do love spending time with you. And like, I just, I want to spend all my time with you. And it's like, Oh, that's nice. You know? And then the downside is that, uh, you know, it, there's did, conditions on that. Did she de- try to devalue in any way when things, uh, when you weren't agreeing to things or were you very agreeable and then you felt kind of trapped? You know, she had a, she played a very big card early on. Um, and like, I'll never forget the, I'll never forgive the healthcare system out here for that. Uh, I was, I was kind of getting distant, right. Cause I was just like, this is too much and I know this is wrong. Right. Um, and so I showed up at the, her place to kind of like tell her that I think we were going to be, we need to spend more time apart. Right. And, uh, she just says very matter of factly, you know, as soon as you leave, I'm going to kill myself. And I was like, Oh shit. You know, I was like, you know, you can't do that. And she goes, no, I am. I'm, I've made peace with it. Life's been a very big struggle for me. And as soon as you leave, I'm going to kill myself. I was like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I said, you know, I'm going to call the cops. He goes, you know that I can reach the razor before they get here. I was like, I see. I see. And so it was this, it was this, uh, night where I was like, I had to like on the sly text my, you know, text my best friend, like, please call cops you know, suicide risk. Right. And eventually, um, my friend does do that and I, you know, I'll be forever grateful to her. Um, they take her into the, uh, they take her into the, uh, mental, uh, the mental wing and then they release her that night. And I'm the only person they can release her to because she, she has no family out here. And I'm like, this is the worst. This is the literal worst. So, you know, it was that gun to your head, you know, where this person would actually put a gun to their head if you left. So, yeah, it it became entrapment very quickly. So a pain I know all too well because it seems uh, we're, we're, we're twins today. I know. Uh, I, um, I'm going to share, um, like, I very, not a, a full similar story, but close. Uh, this one girl, I was, I was doing a lot of work on myself 
to right. uh, break out of these patterns I've had from being raised the way I was raised around, you know, a couple of narcissists and uh, trying to deprogram myself. And this uh, woman I started dating, uh, she was always like, I was doing this uh, program and I was away and then I'd come back. I was away. I'd come back and I needed to really hunker down and, and do work. And I was doing exams uh, where I was, and she was constantly interrupting me with uh, texts uh, and mm-hmm. phone calls. And I'm like, listen, like, you know, like, this time is for me. And she goes, oh, I won't bother with you about it right now. And I'm like, okay, but she made, like, she made a real big point of it. Of this, I'm not going to bother you with my problems right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I knew something was up. I, I, I did all of my exams. I came back home. And I was like, what was like, at this point, I kind of do want to break up with this person because they're, this was supposed to be like my specific time to, uh, do something with, you know, change part of my life and take these exams. And, um, she couldn't help, but interrupt it. Like she couldn't give it even three days. And, uh, so when I came home, I was all ready to do the whole breakup thing. Like, you know, you've already, like I've, I've set my boundaries, you've now stepped over my boundaries and, I got the, right before I was about to do it, it's like she knew I was about to do it. And she breaks oh, into, I called you because I'm thinking of killing myself. <clears throat> oh my God. And I started crying. Yeah. And she thought I was crying for her. But mm. I wasn't. <clears throat> I was crying for myself because right. I had done all of this work and now I found myself back with the exact same person I was trying to uh, get away from. And they've trapped me again. <clears throat> I knew deep down she wasn't going to do this. Right. But I knew I had just been trapped. And there was no- in my mind again, there was nothing I could do to get out of it. Yeah, and <clears throat> your, sto- <laughs> your story was like, oh, God, th- these are the people that we find. Yeah, you know, and it it is it is so like that like you said like there was that moment in my there was like that moment in my soul, right, when she said that and like it was like I can't believe we're doing this again. Like and I know that I I can't figure out I don't I can't and like I think like there gets like that moment where you're just so tired, right? Mm-hmm. You're just like I don't I don't want this anymore, but why am I here again? Like I've worked so hard, you know, I've spent an entire lifetime trying to get away, but somehow trouble always finds Finds me. me. Yes. But that's, that's where we got into the boring person versus the non-boring person. And this person was exciting and I got, I got what I paid for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I, I have such admiration, right? I, I briefly mentioned him earlier. Um, the, the, uh, man who, you know, the fa- the father of my friend in uh, uh, high school, you know, cause every day he had the same routine, right? He would wake up at five o'clock in the morning. He would go downstairs. He would make himself, he would make himself like a, an egg and then he would go to work. He would return home at four thirty because he started work at six. He would then make dinner for his son uh, and himself and he would watch TV and wait until his wife came home from her night shift at, uh, or her swing shift as a nurse 
He would just wait until she made her phone call that she was coming home. Then he would go up, take a shower, and just wait to see her, give her a kiss, and then go to bed. Like, that was his whole life. And he was so pleased with it. And I was like, how do you do it? Like, how how is, like, how how do you, like, have this, you know? Like, why? Because I, I don't know why, but I can't, like, I can't get there, right? Like, I, you know, I'll be with somebody for a while, and I'll be like, well, this is nice and domestic. I gotta sh- I gotta switch it up can't keep doing this you know hmm. i can't have somebody who's like so ple- who is pleased to see me and like you know or what have you or like handles things like an adult human being that's well adjusted like i just can't deal with it you know we got to be weird artists you know mm-hmm. um but yeah i i do envy him that because like it seems like a good life and i'd like to somehow get there but i don't know if i I don't know, like, if I have enough time, right? Because, like, I feel like it's, uh, I feel like the, uh, the dance, the wiring's pretty deep, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. So do you still try to uh, work on things or do you go through periods where you just kind of do what you do, go about your life until maybe something creeps up that uh, triggers you or makes you take a bunch of steps back before you work on something again? Or is it just like an everyday thing or, or are you not working on it at all at the moment? I, thankfully I've, I've, uh, found the, I finally found a therapist whom like I, I've trusted, right. Cause I don't know if you ever did, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like, um, when it came to like therapists, like I always played a game to see like if they were, if they could out, you know, if they could see past like my, you know, my charade. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing that I always like to do that seemed to work is like these people listen to people for their entire profession. I bet they would enjoy talking about themselves a little bit. And so if I could like deflect the conversation back to them and have them talk more than me during a session, I was like, okay, I get you. You, you know, I know how to play this game enough so that you don't see past the things that I'm not going to reveal. And although I, a part of me wants that, like a part of me doesn't want that. And I want to find the person that can see past it. And the therapist that I currently have saw past it fairly quickly. So, that's, you know, that's, been... that's interesting. Cause now I'm thinking to myself, did I do that subconsciously with not even thinking about that? Oh, um, yeah. See, like, cause I eventually, right now I don't see a therapist, but I've, I, I saw one uh, specific one for a very long time. And uh, one day I stopped and I stopped mm-hmm. because uh, I said, this person isn't challenging me. This person mm-hmm. isn't seeing what's going on. And I've right. let this slide. And this person's just been collecting their paycheck <laughs> for letting right. me slide. And yeah. uh, sometimes, you know, there's a certain amount of empathy that uh, is, is needed. But at a certain point, the other person needs to be like, hold on one second. Stop doing this bullshit routine and let's actually start doing something. And that never happened. I had to come to that realization myself and not the therapist. And that's how I knew I had a therapist that needed to be let go that I was like, no. Yeah. And like, I applaud you for being able to like make that break because like, you know, if it's, if it's not, if it's not helping you, if they're not like, if they're not, if it's, if it's not an aid to you to help you on your journey, then like there isn't a place for them on the, you know, on the boat. 
you know, um, and that's not to say that they are a bad therapist by nature, but they weren't the right therapist for you, right? Yeah, I think maybe um, at the beginning they started off as being the right therapist, but then after a while I needed to graduate to someone else. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Like I think, you know, you do change through the course of therapy, right? And I'm sure there will be a moment where like, you know, your needs change and like they may not be the best person to help you with that need. Um, but yeah, it's been a... it's you know, it's been tough. It's been tough to like open up to people. You know, I had a person come visit me and, you know, she told me like, I like you, but I feel like you never want me to see you. And I don't need you to be at your best. And I don't need you to be some sort of fun distraction. I just want you, you know, and I, I have the hardest time like giving someone that, right? Because mm-hmm. it's just like, I, I always like need to shield it. Because, you know, it's very hard being vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you have people who uh, have feasted on that. Yes. Like, uh, that, yeah. So, because I still have a relationship with people that uh, like to feast uh, on it. And I do keep my uh, distance from uh, letting that happen. Uh, I interact with them. I do my best, but at the same time, I know uh, not to take that extra step and, and let them in. I'm very protective. And, right. uh, you know, for a while, you know, I'm in a moment, a part of my life right now where I've gone to reset myself again. And when I reset myself, it's like, you're on the couch. You're going to watch uh, 13 Reasons Why uh, from beginning to end. And like, just stay on the couch and be just you. And then you'll make your way back out into the world when you're, you're comfortable to, uh, protect yourself from other people again. But it takes, once, once you get burned by somebody, you kind of have to take that step back and be like, okay, how did this happen again? This is what happened. Let's now take everything we've learned and then move back out into the field. Uh, Life is an experiment right right now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, how is it going for you? Like, was, uh, was the, starting the podcast a part of, um... A part of this project? Uh, no, the podcast... Well, writing my book, um, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse, available soon, everyone, once I finish editing. Um, <laughs> that was... When I started writing it, it was... Um, even though a lot, a lot of it's uh, kind of made up, it, I, you know, I'm not an actor of... Uh, I'm not an actor in any way, but I started understanding the acting process because when I started writing from this character's perspective... The, uh, the venom started coming out, and I was, and people started reading and being like, "Ooh!" So I'm like, mm-hmm. "Okay, I, I can." I, it's at least getting a reaction of some sort from people. Let's let these other feelings you're having coming out because you know I started dating someone. Um, it's also a very long story, but that person turned out to be, uh, I think, a sociopath. And, uh, I was so burned that I was like, I had all of these stories and, uh, all these feelings. So I just started letting it out, uh, through the, through my hand. And, uh, it's just started being like a lot of rant writing, but done in a a funny way. And I started coming Mm -hmm. up with different concepts and realizing I have something here. And then I was like, this is my life. This, this really is my life. And this is my yeah. experience and my experience. Uh, I listen to uh, a lot of self-help podcasts, specifically uh, I like Dr. Drew. Like, you know, Bob Forrest is. No, I, I don't know. Uh, Bob familiar. Forrest, uh, 
he was in a band in the 1980s called Thelonious Monster. He was a horrible drug addict, and they became a drug counselor. And he does a show with Dr. Drew, and they were he does he does uh he's into rehabs now, and he became um big in the rehab community. And um, oh, I have a brain fart. I forgot what I was saying. There was a line that he said, uh, and now I com- I completely lost my train of thought. Um, I have no idea where I was going with it. Yeah, you were doing your book, and you were uh, you realized that this was your life, and you do listen to a lot of self help podcasts. Oh uh, yeah, so and he said he's uh, in his is his opinion because he goes uh, his experience in life is only worth something if he shares it. Mm. And I uh, always thought uh, that line, that line uh, meant a lot to me. So I I wanted to share my experience and share it in my way, because a lot of these uh, like you listen to these narcissist podcasts or, you know, people's books on narcissism. It's very clinical. It's very, um, you know, a lot of woe is, is me. And there is a lot of woe is me, but I always, in my, my way of coping has always been with humor. And I always yes. found that um, if I can make a story that is humorous, but people who, uh, the people who want to read it aren't people necessarily who are reading it because they want to learn how to get better. It's the people who don't realize what has happened to them, who don't even mm-hmm. realize what they're doing has been caused by something. And they read it and they be like, hold on one second. That happened to me. This is my life. I'm doing the exact same thing. I feel that pain and I've never, um, I've never expressed it before. This guy and the way he's doing it understands me and he's made it in a way that's entertaining and maybe I'll go and do something about it now. And that's the kind of audience that I wanted to, uh, to speak to. And, uh, so then, uh, once I realized, you know, I wasn't big into social media and part of my book is like railing against social media, which is unfortunate mm-hmm. because now when you're right, you, you want to get it out to the masses, you wish you were on, on social media. It's that double right. edge. It's a catch 22. And, right. uh, so I thought, it, you know, I was like, let's make a, a podcast and see what you can do with, uh, get an audience. So that's great. Um, I just started thinking, okay, I had on, uh, you know, friends cause I was also like, I had addiction issues and we'll always have addiction issues. Cause once you're an addict of something, you're always an addict. Uh, so, you know, I brought on people, I started telling my own stories and, you know, people have started to listen and, and then I was like, hold on. I love, uh, going on Reddit and listening to people and, uh, talking to them and answering their questions. So, mm-hmm maybe some of these people would want to come on and uh, tell their stories because I found that, you know, people sharing their stories uh, helps. And uh, then I put out my ad and then I found you. I found, I found Elliot and Elliot uh, has a great voice. And so you're a comedian. Uh, these are the, everyone, I'm learning more about uh, Elliot today too. We're all strangers, but you're a comedian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I think I have a very similar um, feeling about um, sharing, right? Which is, I do like sincerity, and I think it's good. Um, I do know that, like, humor makes it go down a little bit easier. Um, because I think, like, mm, I think there's this part of me, right, that... Uh, 
I can, I, I think I can get like emotionally exhausted if someone is like just feeling all over me, you know, just like just raining down their entire day without like, without any sense of like perspective or humor. Um, because like, I think that's what my uh, stepfather was. He would just, he could never, like nothing was ever a joke. Everything was just an affront. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there was no levity. So doing stand up, like a, you learn how to develop a thick skin fairly quickly because like, man, if you think that you're a cut up the first time you go on stage, you learn very quick. You learn very quickly in three long minutes. Uh, maybe you're not as funny as you think you are. Right. And you're like, okay, all right. Okay. If I want to keep doing this, I have to get better. And so it gives you this natural incentive to improve. Right. Because you don't want to go through the three minutes of silence again. Then again, there are some people who can just like live in that silence. Then they can do stand up for 12 years and they just never get any better. And they do not mind that nobody cares. I'm like, man, how do you do it? Um, how do they do that? Cause I've always in the back of my mind, has said one day, like, I would love to try stand-up, but it is the, it is the scariest thing I think uh, I can think of. Really? Yeah. Um, to be, to be know, on a stage, because I, right now I hide behind a microphone. That's easy. To go on stage right. um, in front of people. Uh, at one time, right. a long time ago, my only, my only uh, dip into stand-up wasn't real. Uh, I, uh-huh. I, I hid, and I worked at a movie theater. Oh. And uh, there was a time, you know, where pagers existed and things like that. And it was the beginning of cell phones. Right. And uh, sometimes a, a movie theater attendant had to go up to the front of the theater and mm-hmm. uh, tell everyone to turn off their... They said, thanks for showing up to the movie. Please, can you please turn off your cell phones and pagers, blah, blah, blah. Do you remember that era? Yes, very much. So uh, I got that job sometimes to go do that. Uh-huh. And uh, I would use that as my... Uh, time. I was always a, uh, I was a big Stephen Wright fan. Oh, oh, awesome. So I, I like, I love comedy. So I was a big Stephen Wright fan and I was also a big, uh, Andy Kaufman, uh, fan and a big Norm Macdonald fan. Cause I, you, you know, have good taste. Well, uh, Norm, a lot of Norm is Andy, there's Andy Kaufman in, in Norm. And, uh, I would go up to the front of the theater and I would get into a monotone voice like a Stephen Wright voice <laughs> and I'd become the most uninterested movie theater, uh, attendant, uh, that ever existed. Uh-huh. So I would go up there and I would read, I'd be like, okay, everyone like, uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> and I would break into, uh, can you please turn off your cell telephones? And I hope you enjoy, uh, you know, your movie, uh, like, uh, life in the time of cholera, which was actually a movie. And everyone would look at their tickets because it wasn't life in the time of cholera. It was like, uh, it was another movie, but I would do it the whole entire time. And I would just sit there and I would wait and I would watch the whole audience just start looking and scrambling through their tickets, wondering what was going on. They didn't realize that the, my joke was to want to watch them. That was, uh-huh. it was my, it was my fun. And, uh, they would just scramble through and scramble through until eventually, eventually one person would be like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. And I'm like, what, what do you want? And I got, I got, I got to go to another theater. 
And they'd go, isn't, uh, we're here. And I'm like, don't worry. I'm just screwing around with you guys. And, <laughs> and then I'd leave. And sometimes people would clap because I would, I, I would wait it out so long. And like the ones who really appreciated that they were the butt of my joke. So that uh-huh. was, that was my, my thing. But I was more comfortable up there because I wasn't me. I was a character right. I created. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I think like because um, I I did uh, I've done stand up for such a long time, and then I did a one person show, and I can tell you, um, legitimately, the one person show was the most difficult thing I've ever done uh, creatively, because like that, like with humor, right? You can kind of you amplify yourself a little bit, right? Like your observation, like you're not as big of a loser as like you make out you make yourself out to be, or you're not as whatever, because you know part of comedy is exaggeration right mm-hmm. but like doing the one person show where it's just the light and it's like all of this is all of this is me huh this is just and people have bought tickets to see me not be super funny have jokes in there but to just like to talk about life and like my perspective on it oh man that was a it was weirdly it was cleansing um but it was it was difficult to do I'm glad I did it, but I don't know. I don't know if I have another one of. I, I think I might retreat back to behind a microphone. Um, on a uh, how lo- how how long was that show? Uh, it was an hour. It uh, was an hour yeah. show. Um, and I had a great I had a great director. Um, and I talked about my grandmother, and he was such a sweet guy. Um, my grandma uh, loved. Um, Mother's cookies, you know, those little uh, white and pink cookies with, like, uh, sprinkles on them? In, in Canada, we did not have mother's cookies. Oh. Oh, that's unfortunate. I have um, no idea what those are. Well, they're, very, they're, a, they're, like, uh, they're like candy-coated cookies, right? You can't get any, you can't get any sweeter than that. Um, you've reached maximum sweetness when you coat cookies with candy, right? Yes. Um, and uh, I had told him offhand one time that, that was my 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 grandmother's favorite cookies, and so after the show, I had waiting in the um, in the green room, um, or in the dressing room. I'm sorry, in the dressing room was waiting um, the, uh, a package of those cookies, and uh, I don't know, almost, it almost made me cry. <laughs> to, truth to tell, <laughs> that was nice. um, going back to one thing. I, like before we close out here, because we've been on here for okay. a little bit. Uh, there's one thing a long time, uh, a while back, you said about uh, something about, uh, I guess, uh, the family unit or uh, maybe going forward, uh, the type of fan. Like you don't know if you'll be able to have that type of life that like uh, most people lead. Right. Um, and it reminded me because, you know, I am a comedy fan. Uh, right. This one thing Jerry Seinfeld once said, which is, uh-huh. which is strange because this would be actually, I'd like to run into him and ask him this question because his life has changed. He once said that uh, he was telling a story. I don't, I, it wasn't a real story, but it, it was, he would walk up to this house and he'd look into this window and he'd see this family, a mother and a father and two children sitting down at a table, having dinner together at like six o'clock after work. And to him in his mind was like, I don't want that. To me, that is Mm. the strangest thing ever. Mm. And then uh, eventually, you know, now he's like, I guess at the age of maybe 55 or 50, 
he eventually right. did start uh, to have uh, a regular family. But it took after his show, after you know he had done everything for him to get to that place where he wanted that life. I was always interested in that in my mind, like, is that uh, an entertainer's uh, a feeling or is that maybe he also had a strange uh, upbringing and, uh, you know, eventually he worked on himself and then he got there? That's a really good, that's a really good question. Yeah. I mean, I, I had always, I had always termed it this way, which is like, I, I always just, I always want to be messed up enough to be creative. Like that's all I wanted. Right. Um, if I, cause I have damage, I don't want to be incapacitated by my damage. I just want enough to be creatively viable. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like there, I think you're right in that there are certain ways in which, um, when I was younger, I always called it settling for the deal. Right. Like I couldn't do it. Right. Like you would be with somebody and you guys would be together for whatever, like, two years and like you get or three years or whatever. And like, you guys are just kind of like in that point where it's either like, we're going to take a next step or this thing will dissolve because time is an infinite, you know? And if you want to take that next step, you can't do it with me. Right. Um, and so I, I do wonder about that. If like the things that make me willing to, go on stage or, uh, you know, create or write or what have you. Um, if that's because I'm willing to be selfish enough with my time that I can put those things off. Right. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, and I don't know what, I don't know what the answer is because like you, and like you doing your book and like doing this, like, you know, they're both time sinks. Right. Yeah. Um, especially writing, you know, um, like, are you, so a, are you, are you a fan of, uh, Henry Rollins in any way? Oh, yes. So, uh, I don't know if you've listened, I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast where he eventually said, um, you know, I, he doesn't have relationships with women anymore. He feels bad for them. Uh, if they do have a relationship with him, uh, he's mature enough now to know that all he wants in life is to wake up on Saturday morning, listen to his records and then make his music. Um, and that's his life. That's his baby. The only person he talks to is, uh, consistently is his best friend from, uh, 10 years old onward, which was a Ian McKay from, uh, it was another punk band uh, back then. Uh, I forgot the name of it off the top of my head, but that that's his life. But it took him a long time for him to be like, I'm wasting other people's time. I'm, uh, this is who I am. And this is the life I'm going to lead. And this makes me happy. Uh, because, which then breaks me into what will be my last question. Do you feel okay. that you're a narcissist now in some sort of way? Uh, unfortunately, I think like I do have some tendencies, you know, um, in that. Mm, that's interesting. Do I feel like a narcissist? Like, I think, I think I'm much more self-centered than I wish I were. Mm-hmm. Um, Hence the stand up and the, you know, all these things that involve me like taking center stage. Right. Um, and I do know, like, I think a necessary part of any relationship is like doing give and take. Right. Mm-hmm. I know that in some ways I'm very inflexible. Um, however, if you threaten to kill yourself, I get, I become very acquiescent. Um, 
But, oh man, I guess I would say that I don't think I'm a narcissist, but I have more, I have more of it in me than I wish I did. Okay. Do you feel, how do you answer that question? Uh, that's, a, <laughs> it's a tough question. I know I am not the, uh, narcissist, uh, the classic narcissist for a while. I thought maybe I could have been like a covert narcissist. Uh-huh. Uh, I am an empathetic human being. I know that, yeah. but at the same time, I put myself into uh, the best situations I can for me. I, uh, right. In my mind, if I was put into a situation that was uh, that uh, drained me of sorts, I might become the person I don't want to be. And That's an lo- excellent way to put it. A yeah. long time ago, uh, I was you know a competitive person. If I played sports, or I still am competitive, but. I was on a baseball team and if someone made an error, I would be angry. And at a certain point I I took myself out of that life. I didn't like how I was reacting and I didn't want to be that person anymore. So, um, I stopped trying to be competitive. I've played Scrabble with you. I didn't play against you. I wanted to play story Scrabble where you play with someone, you put down a word and you tell a bit of a story using that word. Then you put down a word and you build upon my story. So I try oh, that's to, so cool. I, I try to try to do things where it's more of let's work together instead right. of uh, being apart. Because if we work together, we might be able to create something great and I can be proud of both of us because I don't want to be against you because that part of me is in there and it was ingrained in me and uh, I didn't like it. Uh, yeah. Has it made my life better? Um, <laughs> uh, it's That's hard to say because... Um, you want to be a good person, wh- whether it be work or whatever. And, you know, jerks, uh, you know, uh, in those situations in that, uh, mindset are better to have. Um, right. but I don't want to be that way. So it's, I have a very tough time. Uh, n- I know it's there and I fight it. I'll put it that way. Right. It, it's a it's a lifelong fight because I don't it's a, something I don't want to be and it's the shadow of what I dislike a lot and there's a, a there's a neediness in there uh right. where I don't like needy people but deep down there is this neediness in me. So it's a fight that I constantly have that I have to work at but I know it's there and I'm aware of it and I try and I think that the trying um makes me good. And, uh, that's the way I look at it. Yes. I've been terrible, maybe at a certain point of life to a couple people. Uh, and I had to come to terms with that, but, uh, I've, uh, it's, I'm moving forward. And I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't do. And that's what my goal is. Yeah. Well, I do, I do feel like in, I do feel like in some ways we are very twinsies. I, I have that. I have, I do have a, a lot of the things that you verbalize are things that I have found in myself. Wow. <laughs> this is what I was hoping. This is what I, when I went on to Reddit, I was like, I'm going to find people who are like me and we're going to tell our stories. And then there are other people who are like us are going to find us and we're going to become a community. And, right. we'll, and then the world will be a better place. Absolutely. That's what I'm hoping. We'll destroy, we'll destroy all of social media. 
(laughs) Facebook will be destroyed. Instagram will be gone. And then we will rule the world again. (laughs) uh, That sounds good. We'll have flip phones. No texting. And, uh, you know, if you could be stuck at the beginning of the internet in 1990, like uh, AOL or just when it, like Prodigy, all those things, CompuServe, that, that year, perfect. Mm-hmm. To me, that's perfect. <laughs> it, the internet was the Wild West. Uh, no, if you wanted to get a hold of me, I didn't have a cell phone still, but I could talk, right. to, but I could talk to people um, that lived on the other side of the world through my computer. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, like to make a complete confession to you, like I still get the, I still get, I get the New York Times and the Seattle Times print edition because I don't, I don't like reading news um, online. I, I kind of. Um, you're you're old school. Just, you like to sit in in your chair. You do the do you do the New York Times crossword? Yes, I do it very poorly, but you try. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's just something about. Um, letting yourself take time to do things and not feeling like the consistent rush of like, well, what is this? And then what's it? What look at this little link. Let me go check that out. You know? And that's why I think, I, I've, I've grown to love a uh, podcast because, uh, yes, it is, you know, to me, the radio was always the car. I was, radio was to me, was never something at home. And right. I take the time to walk everywhere now. Uh, if mm-hmm. I, if I can be leave an hour early, I put on a podcast of, you know, whatever I'm like, up to that day or whatever I want to listen to. Sometimes it's wrestling. Sometimes it's uh, podcasts about drugs or self-help mm-hmm. ones. And uh, I go and uh, it's refreshing. You're slow. You slow yourself down. You walk and uh, you're slow. You're not speeding up. You're in the moment listening. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's my story. <laughs> Well, it's been a good story. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Do you, did you have anything you want to promote? Any websites? Uh, any Twitters? Any pages? Any shows you're doing? Your podcast? Uh, sh- yeah, sure. Uh, if you don't mind. Um, okay. So the first one is the D&D podcast that you mentioned briefly. It's D&D actual play podcast called What's Your Damage? Uh, it's with five Seattle comedians. Uh, they're all very funny and I'm the DM, so I'm just the world and its problems. Um, and the other one is, uh, it's forthcoming. It will be coming out at the end of May. Um, it is called works of love and that's the audio drama that, uh, apparently I have a very good voice for. Um, it is about, uh, love and the possession of and lack of it. Um, you can follow that account, uh, at W O L pod, on Twitter, uh, so that you can keep up to date with that. And, uh, the D and D podcast is at W Y D pod on Twitter. Um, W Y D pod that's on Twitter. And the other one is W O L pod W O L pod. Okay. Cause I'm writing Mm -hmm. this so I can put it on. All right. Elliot, it has been a pleasure. It is. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks I've for, had a great time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, and everyone, uh, go, to, go to his uh, Twitters, sign up to them, listen to him. He's got a great voice. I'm hoping he, uh, Elliot one day does a horror podcast because you have the perfect voice for uh, a narrator uh, or a scary 
uh, like even a, a comedic zombie or, or, or vampire <laughs> podcast where some, somewhere you're, you're kind of telling the story of what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 you're going to be good at it. I know you are. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I've always wanted to do, uh, always want narrate. Oh, now you're cutting out. Oh no. Oh, okay. I've always so, want. Sorry. Continue. Sorry. I've always wanted to do some horror narration. Uh, yeah, you have a perfect voice for it. You really do. Oh, I, I, I listened to uh, one horror po- podcast where it's just a, it's a continuous story. Um, I, I forget the name of it uh, off the top of my head. But the I, Magnus Archives? No. I, I, I subscribe to uh, a website, uh, a thing called Shudder. It's like the uh, Netflix of horror films. And they have, they have a podcast. I forgot what the name of the, their podcast is, but uh, they uh, have this ongoing kind of story that's uh, episodic uh, that takes place at an insane asylum. Uh, your, oh. voice, your voice would be perfect as the narrator of that type of podcast. That sounds so good. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll eventually get the name and I'll send it your way. So, oh, thank you. So uh, everyone out there, thanks for uh, listening to uh, this episode of How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse. I am Chad the Impaler, and this has been Elliot. Thanks for listening. Thank you. And that is it for uh, the show this week. I hope you liked that conversation. I had a great time talking to Elliot, and uh, we'll try and have more of these uh, in the future. I'll put up more uh, posts or ads, not ads, but you know, uh, a little subreddits on conversations on uh, Reddit and see who answers me. Try and get a different types of stories and uh, from people from all walks of life. So uh, follow uh Elliot at uh on his Twitters at W Die W Y D O uh, sorry W Y D pod on uh Twitter and W O L pod uh on Twitter. Uh narcissist abuse survivor and all around great person Elliot. Thanks for being part of our show. Uh remember uh to like this podcast, to give us five star ratings, to give us reviews, to tell your friends about it. I always feel terrible shilling, but I kind of have to. Uh, who else is going to shill for me? I have to do it myself. I've got to take uh, some self-care here. And besides that, our book's coming out soon. I'll always remind you about that, uh, How to Survive the Narcissist Apocalypse. And that's the name of this podcast as well. I am Chad the Impaler. Thanks for showing up this week. Good night. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. This is an emergency broadcast transmission. This is not a test. Please remain calm.